What is it? I don't know. Found it on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> the interwebs? Yeah. You can like go on YouTube and find like cool intro music. And this guy like, this is literally, he writes stuff like this just for people like us. Hats off to him. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to make money. You just mm-hmm. like create a little tune, put it on loop and you know, people buy it up. We need to get a Houston on that. He could definitely do that. I think that's what he's working on. Don't you think? Pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Video game world. He could rock it in there too. Yeah. Which would be really cool. Um, <coughs> hey, we're going to talk about the power of showing up. Feel ready? Woohoo. So I'm I, very ready. Yeah. I showed up for this one, so I'm ready. Yeah. you. Sh- <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. I recorded earlier and she wasn't here, so we had to redo it. <laughs> she finally showed up. <laughs> Um, I have a question for you. Bring it on. Who was the most consistent person in your life growing up? Besides my parents? Like, can I say my parents or do you want outside that realm? Uh, let's go outside. Yeah. (sighs) Gosh. Oh, just in case anyone ever wonders, John doesn't tell me these questions before. Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes I have to stall because I'm like, well, if you want to talk about your parents, it's also okay. Like, if your parents were super uh, consistent, like, let's talk about them. Tell me, tell me about my that. My parents were super present. Yeah. They were super duper present. And, um, like, because I kind of, I wondered, I figured you would ask me something similar to this, but I was, I was thinking through, like, different aspects of showing up. But one thing I loved about my parents is it didn't matter what it was. Yeah. There was the same level of excitement of, them being proud of their like willingness to go. Like it wasn't like, I mean, cause y'all know I sing, I did theater. Yeah. Nobody in my family was into that. And <laughs> you would never have known that, you know? Like yeah. Yeah. now that I do go see other people in high school musicals and plays, it's just not as exciting as when you're in it. <laughs> you know, Like you have given your heart and soul to yeah. something. And you think everything, everyone else would enjoy it just as much, but sometimes it is a labor of love to show up. Yeah. So I feel like my parents did it really well. Now, obviously they're my parents, so their, their excitement was also because they love me, but I'm trying to think of like another, I did not have anyone in my life in student, like I was youth ministry or like our church's youth group was huge to me, but there wasn't, our church was so huge. Yeah. There wasn't anybody like a mentor that ever showed up for me in that way, but isn't that funny, ha- like, how that happens? It's, like, the larger the church, the less likely you're going to have, like, a one-on-one relationship with somebody. Totally. Yeah. And that's why I think sometimes these questions trip me up because I feel like <laughs> I feel like people did show up for me or I felt very loved and supported growing up. But then when I think about the joy of what my job is, of, like, what I get to do, I'm like, oh, like, I hope – my kids have someone in their life to really pour into them. I love pouring into individual lives because I did not get that. And so like, yeah, when, when we talk about this and as we flesh this out, I'm like, that's pretty huge to have someone older who's just excited to listen and talk and want to know you when you're not their peer and not their age. But, um, I think, I think people who really showed up for me were probably the people who were pouring into me like people either I worked for like I'm I'm going older than like I'm thinking like right out of college when I when I worked at camp which when we get into this too camp is a huge part of me 
understanding the power of showing up. Um, but even just like choir directors, like them showing up for me, they were much more, you know, like as a coach and being coached all your life, like those people end up being really important to you and they become mentors because they are part of your daily life. So, yeah, that's a pretty roundabout answer to saying, I can't think there's no one to me. It's telling that I'm not like, Oh, it's, it yeah. was blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was like, well, besides my parents, like I can't yeah. think of that person that really yeah. showed up all the time besides yeah. peers. I mean, as you're talking, I'm really thinking about like, we've talked about the power of like having a mentor and, or some sort of other adult in your life that is not your mm-hmm. parents to kind mm-hmm. of portray the same message and the same goals for the child mm-hmm. and w- how mm-hmm. important that is. And so this, this topic is very much related to that, but the, the, the larger spectrum, I'm really thinking like almost anybody can be present and show up for a child. And you like rattled off, I don't know, 10 different types of people that showed up, no names outside of your parents, Mm -hmm. but there were tons of people who were, who were there and were consistent and and ready to be. I I would, I want to ask like what was a somewhat of a difference between like your parents whom you remember like multiple moments of them showing up and being present in your life and just other people who were just consistently there and present was there a difference um I think as I get as I had gotten older I think for me with your family because you're always exposed to them there's just like you know, you're comfortable. You're not like dissecting all of life all the time. I think for me to get older for people to show up for me emotionally was something I was not used to. Like, you know, I, that wasn't something I was like dissecting feelings all the time. Like yeah. getting older and someone saying like, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Like to dig in a little deeper of showing up instead of just physically being a cheerleader, like actually digging in deeper. Yeah. Um, that was something that sticks out to me more than anything of like those people who we're ready to sit and listen and cheer me on in a different way. Yeah. You know, made a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I, you know, I was getting ready to ask you this question, I was like, well, who is this for me in my life? You know, outside my parents, my parents did it in a very different way. They were definitely there. Um, if for them, it was very different to be there just because they worked in the school that I attended my entire life. I had my, my mom as a teacher twice and my dad as a teacher twice, not because I got held back, but, they just, uh, they, it was, there was a close call there um, a couple of years, but. Um, was that weird? Side note. Was that so weird? Um, to I, like, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy and I was a baby of the family. Okay. So I loved having my mom in the classroom. I don't know if she loved me in the classroom. Um, <laughs> and then when I had my dad, my dad was literally the best teacher I'd ever mm-hmm. had. He is just, I mean, that is his vocation. He's so good at teaching and relaying information and getting people to understand large concepts and putting it in a simple way. And so in that sense, I really loved having my parents there. I didn't know any different. So like, you know, I put, you know, pastor's kids, missionary kids and teacher's kids kind of in the same type of realm. It's just a different Mm -hmm. upbringing and you have different Mm -hmm. expectations put upon you. Um, You know, you're, you're at school, school gets over, And then you're there till like 7 p.m. Just running the halls, you know, terrorizing things and that type of stuff. The same for like preacher's kids. You know, they know the church better than they know their home. 
And right. um, there's something we're, we're not going to really dive into that. But so excluding from my family, um, my best friend, he's been my best friend since I was five. He was definitely the most consistent person in my life. And he's the one that led me to Jesus. And so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that, his authority in my life to ask me to go to church again and again and again and again. And then when I finally did, it's because I had that sense of trust and and build up with him because he was always there for me when I needed somebody. And really the only person outside of my parents um, who was there when I needed something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. that, it, you know, I've read a little bit of stuff on, you know, why people get like so engrossed into the gang lifestyle. Um, and it's mm-hmm. because like people that get involved in gangs don't really have that healthy home life. And when you find a gang and you're accepted, um, even though you're you're doing bad things, it's like these people will show up for you no matter what. Even it it's with really powerful with evil intent. You know, it's like yeah. the power of showing up is mm-hmm. almost more powerful than wanting to do good or bad. That that's actually really interesting when you said that. Right when you said that, I thought of I, I never understood it when I was in college. I was in a sorority and I had a really tight group of friends, but there was this other part of our pledge class that would go and get like hammered, but there was a camaraderie there because they all knew they would take care of each other. Um, You know, like no matter where the night took them, they, they were going to have each other's back. They were going to be on each other's hair if they were sick. You know, like there was a depth of friendship there that I was always confused by and almost jealous of, of like, I don't understand. Like these people are so tight and I cannot figure it out, but it was because there was like an acceptance there that was like, you could do no wrong. Like it didn't matter. Um, even though the thing that connected you was like beer. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. That, things like that can be so connecting because you're looking for some way, something to hold on to, to plug in. Yeah. And maybe there's not a ton of depth there, but that person's going to have your back no matter what. And that is super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thinking about all this, um, you got to think about all the different types of people who show up for your, your child in their life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wrote down just a, a few, just parents, friends, teachers, coaches, youth leaders, whoever, the, the key is, you know, not only showing up, but also setting up people in the life of your child who are going to show up, who are also going to give that kind of same message. And for us as Christians, it's like we want our children mostly surrounded by other Christians that are showing up just so that they are going to feel that community. Because otherwise, regardless, they're going to cling to some sort of group because it's just natural for us to belong somewhere. That's the way God created us. That's the the reason people end up in some sort of group or some sort of society, no matter what it is, whether good Mm -hmm. or bad. We just have this tendency of wanting to find a group and be a part of it. You know, we believe that the road to life is through Christ. And so we believe that the best group to be is within the church surrounded by other believers. We'll talk about that uh, down the road a little bit, but that is really important for us to really think about is who is showing up for my child. And I want to define a little bit, what does it mean to show up? We can talk Mm -hmm. about that and think about that. I was just running this morning with a couple of old athletes that I coached and 
they were asking, you know, what am I going to do today? I'm like, I'm going to record a podcast. And they're like, about what? I was like, the power of showing up. And they're like, can you give us uh, a quick blurb? And I was like, uh, sure. Um, you know, showing up is 80% of the job. And, and I think that's across the board for anything. Like if you don't show so up, true. it's just not going to even get done. Or if you, there's some athletic quote, like you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. So like just mm-hmm. getting there is really important. And it was like really telling because I ran with these guys who are younger than me and much better shape. And I was running horribly. Like I didn't have a good run. And I was like, <laughs> well, you know, at least I got here and I'm on my feet and, <laughs> um, doing this. So, mm-hmm. so I, I thought about that. And then like, there's this other half of not only like being present physically, but the other harder half is like, you know, a quality of presence that comes with that. So showing mm-hmm. up means arriving, but also being there with your whole being. So yes, I, I, that's as, a really I, <laughs> as I say that, what, what, what comes to mind for you, Susan? Well, I'm just glad you clarified that because I think, um, it sounds simple. Like I love, I love that it sounds kind of like neat and tied up in a bow of like, all I gotta do is show up. I just gotta be there. Like I just gotta be a bag of bones just sitting there. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, showing up is the majority of the battle, but it means like when you show up, you are really showing up. Like you aren't just physically present. Like you are all in. And that just, I guess what (laughs) that makes me think of, um, for me, something that's really hard for me is, I have a really hard time, not, not if I'm just chit chatting, but if I'm like really talking to someone and we don't have eye contact, I, it's like, it trips me up. I like think I start to go to like, this is another podcast, but like my own dark places of like, Oh, this isn't interesting to them. I'm being boring. Like I should shut up. Yeah. Um, but of distraction or just kind of like kind of being there is, is not the same as, mentally and physically being present with someone and really locked in of like, I'm here, I'm watching you. I mean, we, I I see this with toddlers too. I mean, like with our own children being young, they know the difference of when I'm like really watching them and kind of watching them. Like we'll go out in the backyard and they want to show me something that I'm like, I don't want to watch this bad cartwheel the 17th time. (laughs) And it doesn't, it doesn't suffice that it doesn't satisfy them for me to be like, "Uh uh-huh, good job. They can tell when I'm like looking at my phone or like I am out there. I'm, I showed up, (laughs) but I'm not really there. Yeah. So there, that for me, that just made me think of like, I appreciate you saying that because the being locked in both ways is very important to clarify. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So working with teenagers, I counsel a lot of people through, um, relationship and um you know of the opposite sex and you know a lot of times you know dealing with teenagers they're running like does this girl like me or whatever and (laughs) um and I always say it's like you can really tell if I am seeing like the person interact with the person they're you know interested in and you can tell from their body language like and this is like Mm. proven stuff where it's like is there is their body facing you? Are their feet turned a certain way? Because it's like there's a difference between somebody talking with somebody where it's like they're talking out of the side of their mouth or somebody who's fully engaged making eye contact where their whole body is facing the person. It shows a, a higher level of interest in that person. 
are they, you know, attracted to that person? That's a, that's a different conversation, but it's like, well, that person is attractive in the sense that they're giving you your full attention. So you should really pay attention to that person as well. And that's kind of like a nonverbal cue. We just naturally cling to, we're not here to, you know, give dating advice, um, or your children or anything like that but you know that's that's an indicator and it it's telling of us like we we crave that full attention mm-hmm. i was mm-hmm. just traveling in to see my parents down in oklahoma and i took one of my kids and it was my middle child and you know the middle children you know, the, the stigma is they don't get any attention they're the god f- bless them they're, they're, they're the forgotten children <laughs> sorry liza and sorry sorry luke it is it is what it is and and it's because, you know, the first one gets all the attention when they're first born and all that type of stuff. And the last one's the baby and, you know, getting into all mm-hmm. that. But I had three days with just me and Liza. And mm. it was like I had this whole different person with me. Mm. And it's almost like how much you forget how much like of a unique person your child is when you isolate them and you give them like your full attention. And, I, and it's mm. like I had to do it because I wasn't with Carrie and I didn't have other kids to worry about. It's like, I get all this time with this one child. And it was, it was just amazing. I'm like, wow, like her, like she can speak so eloquently and, you know, she can, you know, <laughs> do this and that. And I'm like, I had no idea. Well, I had an idea, but it's like, you just kind of brush over those mm-hmm. things because you're so distracted by a lot of different things. And mm-hmm. likewise, like, because of that, I had a more well-behaved three-year-old. Uh, because mm. she felt like she was getting the attention she needed. And, you know, she responded a lot better when things were communicated to her. And that's at like age three. And it just, you know, as I am I was reading and preparing for this, I was like, that that weekend makes so much sense. Like why she was acting in that way. Um, mm. And why I was able to enjoy her a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. I have this other theory, and we talked about this in the live podcast, is you know, we're seeing a lot of restored relationships happening in quarantine between teenagers and parents. And I think because like the, both the physical and quality of presence uh, are increasing among like the Mm -hmm. parents and teenagers that they just, there just wasn't time for. And so now that those things are happening, you're seeing a lot of people really enjoy one another, even though, you know, the tensions are high in the, the close quarters or the constant, interaction or whatever it is but there's actually and we'll get to this in just a second is there's actually science behind you know what is happening and why these relationships are being restored and it's because Mm. the quality and the physical presence has increased in the past couple Mm. months while we've been in quarantine and i think that in in my mind the lord is using this hard time for his good by restoring those things by saying like this is of value don't don't rush to get out of this like quarantine, but actually utilize this to restore something that mm-hmm. I intended you for you to have. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually thinking about that the other day of thinking of, oh my goodness, like we haven't ordered food out. Like we have had a cooked dinner every night. I mean, sure, it might be leftovers, but like, you know, we have sat down at our dinner table all together every single night since March. And thinking like, you don't know the certain things that actually are felt needs like that. I wouldn't have, I mean, the age of our kids, sure. It's, it's a need. We're always sitting down, but you know, like sometimes I'm out at youth stuff or, you know, we might have something with a friend 
And I'm like, this has been so nice because it is so consistent and it is a felt need now, you know, now it's like, oh man, I like actually really need that face-to-face time with my kids or we're not like running and playing. It's like, we can debrief the day and, um, yeah, that, that it is like a really, really good thing to be able to sit across from a table from each other. And that's like simple, but it's a need now that is really helpful. Yeah. That's why, you know, I literally wrote down in my notes, the power of the dinner table. It's this moment Mm. in every day that you can count on, um, or you should be able to count on where you're sitting across from your family member for, I don't know, you know, our dinner time lasts like 20 minutes, right? Just because our children are so young. And, but for those 20 minutes, no matter what we're talking about, it's like, the only other thing that has our attention is the food that we're eating. And, you know, half the time we're talking about how good the food is or like, Oh, I don't, or my children are like, Oh, I don't like um, this little um, crust on the the sandwich or whatever. But nonetheless, it's like we are giving each other like full presence in that. And there's actually power behind that. table and how important that is and being consistent with your children and really, you know, not allowing electronic devices at the dinner table and really just sitting around a table, eating food and having a conversation and giving full attention, even if it's for the 20 minutes to an hour time a day, that time could transform the dynamic of a family and the the maturity of a child. And it's Hmm. just from childhood all the way through teenage years, just staying consistent with that. So this book is called The Power of Showing Up. It's by Dan Siegel, who we've referenced before. He has all this this content. He's kind of the leading scholar when it comes to brain science and when thinking about, you know, children and adolescents. And he partnered with Tina Bryson. They broke down what does um, showing up to a child in their life and when they're the ones that define showing up as physical presence and quality of presence what does that do and how does that affect a child as they grow into adulthood and so they talk about it's very similar between childhood and adolescence it looks a little bit different but the power of it it equates to the same thing so Mm -hmm. they they break it down into like really four um, segments and they actually say we're talking to four four types of parents when we're writing this book. And I thought this was like really helpful, actually defining the type of parents that are kind of struggling with this idea. And um, the the first one is there are parents who should themselves to death. Um, I should have done this. Mm. I should have done that. I should have done this. And they say that parent usually is the best off just because like they're overthinking it and they're probably doing just fine. But the worst part about their parenting is they're always thinking they're not good enough. Mm. The the other uh, couple is uh, they have parents who have struggling kids or acting out kids. And the other one is they just feel overwhelmed as parents or lost as parents, not sure what to do. Maybe they had kids really young. Maybe they didn't have an upbringing that really showed them how to raise kids, whatever it is. Um, and then the last one, which I think is like true for the majority of Americans and where this like really hit me 
is it's the less present parent. And they define it as, you know, because of the American like culture where work hours are really highly mm-hmm. valued. And then they even get to the point where they talk about the increased screen time that we have, that we may be physically present when we come home, but our quality of presence is way, way down because we're trying to parent while also like sitting on our phone, whether we're emailing, texting, or playing a game or just, you know, catching up on the news, yeah. whatever. It's like that divided time does not equate to quality time. Um, mm. And we've talked about maybe a year ago, just like the power of distraction and what that does to our brain and what it, that does to parenting and what that does to youth leaders and, you know, mentoring and all that type of stuff. Distraction is never a good thing um, when you're trying to uh, create a relationship or a bond. And that's a huge theme in scripture that God is really revealing to us. Like our greatest distraction is when, you know, the serpent came and distracted Adam and Eve from God's plan. And they got so distracted that they followed the snake instead of God um, because they got Mm -hmm. all confused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the book is awesome, and they uh, break down, you know, the, the, the types of parents they're talking to, and I, I really am resonating most with, like, the less present we find, especially living and working in West County, we find, like, most kids we minister to or we interact with are all going to have their physical needs met, but the question is, are their emotional needs being met? And those are the types of kids we tend to sit with. If you're working in inner city, it's almost inverted of that or maybe you know some in some cultures it's neither of those things whatever it is but for us mm-hmm. in west county um the less present um physical needs met but not the emotional and that's really really huge mm-hmm. so as they get into the book they talk about four s's that are really important um, when trying to establish this thing they call a secure attachment susan as i say secure attachment what, what do you think <coughs> they mean by that I mean, I know a little bit about that just from studying psychology stuff, but just like a good and healthy attachment to your parent that's safe. Sorry, you said secure attachment? Yeah, yeah. It's safe and there's not, it's built on the foundation that they don't have to um, almost fight for relationship. There's no yeah. fear in it. I guess fear is the best word I can keep coming back yeah. to. It's secure in the sense of they're not afraid of being abandoned emotionally or physically or there's just a huge safety net there it is a very secure the the definition itself kind of comes out of what it says is like the the attachment is safely set and is sure yeah because yeah it's the foundation's been laid that there's nothing that's gonna take that away yeah Yeah, so I I was, you're right on, uh, and I was reading this overlaying, like, what is the biblical understanding as we kind of, like, parallel the two, and so I like to to take out the word secure and replace it with restored, so living living a relationship that is, um, has experienced brokenness, but has been mended enough that you can trust um, this person above all else. The goal is for, like, the the child-parent relationship to be, you know, of priority. And that relationship needs to be the most restored in order to go on to trust other people. You know, if we're looking at the scientific look at it, um, not really talking about Jesus, in which we'll talk about in a minute, about that, the the relationship with Jesus needs to be the number one priority. But besides that, the, the relationship between the parents and the kids 
in the child rearing stage, both childhood and adolescence, it's really important that that relationship is experienced healthy, secure, and restored. And they talk about there are three like key things of reaching that fourth level, which is security or the secure attachment, that a child needs to experience safety. They need to be seen and they need to be soothed in order to feel mm. secure. As we talk through these, I, I want our listeners to really think, like, this doesn't mm. sound that, uh, like, if you've read the Bible, this doesn't sound, like, obscure. And I think mm-hmm. it's really remarkable that, like, Scripture has already been teaching us these things. It might be using a little bit different language or the narrative. You might have to navigate to get to it. But nonetheless, like, this is what brain science is telling us. Like, in order for a child to feel secure, they must experience safety and be seen and be soothed. And that's the story of Scripture and what Jesus reveals to us um, as we, we confront him and as we interact with him and his father we should feel secure in that relationship because if we truly see what God had been doing throughout scripture and what he's been doing in our lives, we should feel safe and seen and soothed. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we resist it because of the broken relationships we experienced prior to confronting Jesus in our own life and in our Mm -hmm. own story and our own testimony. So before we get to that, Mm -hmm. let's talk about a, a safe relationship. It's one and this is where it's beautiful. It's, it's one that doesn't miss conflict. It's one that's going to confront the realities of brokenness. But the word that they, they use is a safe relationship will eventually be repaired. And uh, just even thinking about that is like they will experience a hardship with somebody, uh, their parent or their sibling or whoever, but if they go back and ask for forgiveness, this is their words, not the Bible's. This is their words, the mm. scientist's words. If you seek forgiveness and you seek repairs within the relationship, they will feel safe. And so brokenness is inevitable, but if forgiveness is given and restoration happens and repairing happens, then they can feel that sense of safety. Mm. And, and without that, you can't move forward with the other elements of the relationship with the child or the teenager or whoever. So you first have to start that at any stage of child rearing, whether it's like if your your relationship with your child has just been horrible up until they were 15, you can still seek re- repairing within the relationship. You can still mm-hmm. seek restoration. You can still confess, like, I hurt you, or even say, like, you hurt me. Let's work on this. You can say that at mm-hmm. any time in the relationship. I've known countless you know adult friends that are seeing you know relationships between them and their parents being restored in their 30s because somebody finally was like i'm sorry that i did this you ever i mean like in home alone you know you've seen the the end of that you know it's like this old (laughs) sorry this is like derailed but it just popped into my mind um you have this old man right (laughs) who is he's estranged from his son and he can't see his grandchildren anymore and kevin McAllister, who's eight years old (laughs) says isn't it um you gotta love um chris columbus um (laughs) kevin McAllister, who's eight years old says um you know would it be so hard for you to like reach out to him he's like i've never thought about doing that um Mm. and then at the end of the movie spoiler alert the the relationship is restored and you see the <laughs> the old man like hugging his son for the first time in like a decade or something like that um and it's beautiful 
And it that, is actually that's beautiful. A, that's a secular movie, and it's giving that message because that's really important. Um, and it's stating like those repairs can happen at any time. So if you're mm-hmm. like, man, I feel like I'm lost with my child. Don't forget, you can always seek safety with your child when you go to confess with them or you talk to them about what forgiveness means. Um, and they may push you away. And that's why the, you know, I, I titled, you know, this, this episode, Being Present, Your Teen Needs You No Matter What They Say, because they're at, oftentimes they're going to resist and they're going to push back. Um, and part of that mm-hmm. is just them trying to figure out their individual selves and you know trying to figure out who am I outside of my family that type of stuff and we've talked about that in the past we're not going to go too far into it so the second stage like once you've established that safe relationship and and again this is coming from Dan Siegel and and Tina Bryson um, is you need to see the whole child they need to be seen and really experienced as um, they need to feel felt as they like to say perceiving making sense of their responding the, the way we perceive our children is the way they perceive themselves. So if we give them full attention, they're going to expect that from other people. And, uh, you mm. know, if you're fearful of who your child is going to date, make sure you want your, obvi- you probably want your child to date like some awesome person and marry this awesome person. It is, you know, scientifically proven that a lot of the times they're going to seek out somebody who, you know, s- that their parents set the standard for. So it's like a healthy relationship is somebody who gives me full attention. I'm going to go find somebody who gives me that type of attention as well. And this is coming from, you know, the brain science side of things. And I think that's really true. And so if we really value our children to that level, we really need to give them um, that attention. And that's going, I'm going to say this, it's like that's going to be really, really hard. Because mm-hmm. there are a million things to do every single day. And some of those things are really, really important. And we don't want to forget those things. I also just want to interrupt. I love what you just said that about, you know, um, what you might want for your children and a spouse or even a, a friend um, that they deserve that. But I was, as you were saying that, I was like, it's also like when that's the standard, like, if they're always receiving someone who listens to them, who really sees them, they actually take that into their own relationships too. It's not just, you know, that they then expect that, but I'm like, you know, if that's all, you know, if that's all you've been modeled, then that's how you do friendship, you know, like, and vice versa. Yeah. (laughs) Like if you're always distracted, always on your phone, uh, that's wouldn't be surprising if that's how other, if that's how your child enters into relationship too of like, yeah, I'm just kind of like, what, what's the big deal? Like, this yeah. is just how we do hanging yeah. out. Like, um, it, it's kind of like when you come into marriage and you bring two people who've grown up in really different families, the things that are like super normal in yours uh-huh. seem really foreign to your spouse, but you realize like they feel normal because that's just how you did life. And so yeah. if showing up and being a good listener or asking good questions is what you receive around your dinner table, then like what a gift you're giving to your kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, that's a lofty gift. I mean, again, yeah. not to say any of us are going to do this perfectly. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, he talks about this in, in the sense that, you know, he talks about the neuroplasticity uh, of our brain. And we've talked about that word before, and um, 
It, it, I always like to just think of it. It's like our brains are plastic. They're moldable. They're reshapeable. If you heat them up hot enough, like you can flatten them, you can reshape them, you can do whatever you need to do. Um, if you overheat them, then they melt away. So you got to be careful of that. Um, but most of the time, <laughs> uh, then we're talking about drugs and we're talking about, you know, all that type of stuff. We're not going to go down that road. But neuroplasticity is like our brains, we're able to reshape our brains and learn new things and, you know, um, learn. So like when a parent is parenting a child, they are, their brain is being molded. Their plastic is being shaped in a certain way based off what they're seeing in front of them. Mm. That's why they say, you know, don't put too much TV in front of your kids too soon because like their brains are more soft and um, they're going to absorb <laughs> that uh, and they're going to see, you know, value in Mickey Mouse as much as they're going to see value in mom and dad. Um, you know, I don't really know how many hours is too many hours. It's so hard um, because TV. Do we get a free pass during quarantine? We get a free pass. <laughs> I, let's, let's just say that. Um, <laughs> I, I really do appreciate these authors because they're so comforting in the sense that, that like parenting is really hard and there's no perfect way to do it. And everybody's failing at it, um, but everybody can improve at it, uh, which is mm. just like, they're just super encouraging and they come from their own perspective. Like we have children and it's really hard. And I failed in every one of these ways. Um, and my child is still alive, which is good. But, <laughs> you know, there, there's really things that we can be looking at to help push ourselves to really, you know, developing our children and to who we want them to be, which kind of takes us to our uh, the, the next level, which is our children not only need to be safe and seen, but they need to be soothed, which mm. means like they're going to be confronted with really hard things. Mm -hmm in um, their upbringing and based off how you handle it as a parent and will dictate um, how they, you know, process that and what mm. they do in reaction to that. And I, I love this quote is uh, that they say, helmets don't prevent accidents, but they alter the consequences. Um, Susan understands mm. that just because <laughs> yeah. her son just had a bike accident um, and he was wearing a helmet. And it Thank the Lord. <laughs> it would have been tragic if he wasn't. It didn't prevent him from flipping over the handlebars, uh, but it definitely saved his life, you know. Minimal, well, kind of minimal consequences on that. Still had to go to the hospital and he's, he's doing all right. And mm -hmm. um, no, no brain damage, which is just awesome. So... Yeah, broken um, collarbone is better than brain dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, they say, you know, we can't rescue our children. And I put mm -hmm. this in here is that this is, you know, taking out of the book. We can't rescue our children. I say that's Jesus's job um, to rescue our children. What we need to do to point our children to Jesus is showing up during the hard times. Um, and what we'll talk about in a minute is because, you know, that's exactly what God did very, very consistently. Um, and that's what Jesus did when it mattered most, is that he showed up both fully, like physically. He was a physical human who physically, God literally showed up. And then he gave us literally his whole self during this whole hard time of, you know, coming to his death. And he's like, I'm giving my life over for this. So that, mm -hmm. that's true, you know, as these um, authors are saying, is we can't rescue our children. And then what we're saying, you know, from... Christian faith is like that. That's Jesus's job, and we need to to sit with our children and soothe them during those hard times and point them to Jesus. They they like to say they 
help them ride the wave of pain and hardship because the wave is going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's going to come. But make sure they know they're not alone in it. Mm. And that is really important for them to finally reach. If you do those three things, if they feel safe, seen, soothed, they're going to feel a sense of security. And they're going to really value their relationship with you. Whether they can express mm. it or not, they have absorbed everything that you've done to them um, because of mm-hmm. their brain. Um, their brains are plastic. They've really absorbed it. Um, and they may not be able to emote it. They may not be able to communicate it until much later on in life. But that's gonna that's going to be how they live their life with other people. And that's why I say when you get to that that third stage, and that's where I see ourselves as youth workers, we're, we're establishing healthy relationships that are consistent with these teenagers so that when a tragedy happens or when a hardship comes up, we can be there to sit alongside them, walk them through mm-hmm. it, and point them to Jesus. And our, our mm-hmm. main goal and our hope is that the parents are also doing that. And one of our main goals is also to say, like, first, you know, we want the parents to establish that security first, but we also want you to know that there are other adults that live this way, and, and you can do this as well, um, even if your parents aren't like this. And when mm-hmm. we, that's a lot of our kids that we minister to. Is like they're not mm-hmm. going to go home to a relationship that isn't sad. It's like they're not going to go home to a relationship that is going to be those things. And so in some, we don't want to replace that, um, but we definitely want to provide that because ultimately we want – to point them to Jesus because that's going to be the person that's going to rescue them out of this hardship. Whoa, that is a lot of content. Um, this is really helpful. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm living a giant object lesson of everything you're saying. Yeah. Cause when you were saying that, I was like, I feel like, I mean, God has used this in my personal spiritual life right now, but you saying that and then, combining all these things together is because that's Lydia's world right now. So Lydia, for you who don't know, is my two month old. And I have thought a lot about that of, um, you know, like just wait, what's the first one before C soothe. What's the first one before C? Um, safe. Uh, safe. yeah. Safe, seen, soothe, secure. Safe, seen, soothe. Um, you know, as the third child, she does have to wait longer for me to get to her if she's crying. You know, if we're in the middle of something, I'm like, I'm going, you know. But I've thought a lot about that in relationship to the Lord, like the way that I've had to, you know, like if she cried a minute longer than I probably would have let my firstborn, as soon as I go in there, I'm like, I'm coming. I'll like yell as I'm coming down the hall, like, Lydia, I'm coming. I'm coming to get you. And then as soon as I pick her up, she's fine. You know, that's all she wants. She just wanted me yeah. because there's like an attachment there. And God has used that. I'm bring, I'm, I am bringing around first full circle. Just FYI. Um, God has used that for me to see, like to physically see and hold someone crying, but know that I can help her. I can hold her. I know what she needs. I'm going to give her something to eat. She's going to be fine. Um, and to realize that's what the Lord is telling me all the time, like, I've got you, I've got this, I know what you need, I'm gonna provide it, you don't even need to worry about it. And to have that, like, always in front of me daily doing that has been really helpful to say, like, over and over again, scriptures telling me these truths, but, and the busyness and the reality of life, that can be hard to remember. So I was just thinking, as you're saying that, like, 
if that feels hard to enter in with your kids this way, maybe maybe this is a great place to start for yourself spiritually of like digging in and I don't know where you're going next, but like yeah. pouring that those four things into yourself yeah. with the Lord right now of like, where do I see him soothing me, yeah. keeping me safe, keeping me secure, really telling me he's seeing me yeah. because like we always say, you can't give away what you don't have. So like working on that to be an overflow to your children, like that's yeah. huge and that's hard. It's hard if you haven't um, practiced that in your life, it's hard yeah. to find, find that, but yeah. how, how helpful and how necessary that is to feel that attachment to the Lord. That way we don't put those secure attachments in inappropriate places yeah. um, to then they pour out to our kids. I just think that's huge. So yeah. I really, really appreciate the way you said that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's, it's funny <laughs> that you bring that specific piece up is as you're reading the book, they talk about, you know, these, they spend very briefly, you know, introducing all these elements of a secure attachment and all this stuff. And, and then they, they go on to say like, most of this book is actually for you as a parent to really understand your mm. own, your own story. Because if and this is again, them s- saying that if you don't understand your own story, you, there's no way you will be able to navigate this. Um, because mm. there's so many open-ended things that you need to closure on, or you need a full understanding or just like your own experience that you need to retell to your kid. Like if you made a mistake, like saying, I made this mistake and I don't want you to make this mistake. That is why I'm making this decision. Um, That is like huge for a child's development and for a teenager to really earn, like feel like their parents trust them and, and, and all of that type of stuff. It's like, they just want open communication to know what's going on. And they, if they feel like you understand your story, they're going to want to understand their own story in the midst of that. So that's like, even from, you know, these brain scientists, these psychologists, um, they're even saying like how important that is. And, and that is, you know, telling of what scripture tells us as well. Like our own story, you know, we're not the, the focus of scripture, but we can definitely see ourselves within it. Um, the focus is Jesus. So let's just, without further ado, just open up the Bible and talk about this a little bit. struggled uh, for a while of like where in the Bible to think about like where does God show up and it's like well obvi- obviously you're like well, okay that's kind of the whole point of John you're missing it yeah uh, that's kind of the whole point um, but then I found myself jumping to uh, Hebrews and Hebrew mm-hmm. Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible just because it's um, this letter to um, these Jewish converts who are struggling with their faith, their new Christian faith, and starting to waver back towards the Jewish faith. And, you know, the, the author of it is really kind of giving this apologetic of 
why like the Jewish faith and the Israelite faith was really important, but it wasn't the end of the story, and that you know Christ fulfills that. And so as you get towards the end of it, there's um, in Hebrews 11, which is uh, the chapter on faith specifically, and it defines faith. And then it goes on to the, all of these statements, uh, listing kind of like these biblical giants of Abraham and Moses and you know Rahab and all these people like you know from the Bible saying, it'll say, by faith, blank, did this or that. And when you read that, you're supposed to get this understanding of like, yeah, there were people that were that trusted God and moved towards God's plan above their own, which is really kind of like a huge point of Hebrews 11 is saying like people walked faithfully. And in some sense, uh, in the definition is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So they're walking in faith, even though they may not be able to see the immediate result or the end result or whatever it is. And I reread this in the mindset of like, what if we flip this? This is really by faith we understood that God showed up in these moments in Scripture. Uh, because mm-hmm. what happens, you know, the author of Hebrews lists these, these things of what these people did faithfully to follow God, and in every one of these faithful moments, God showed up. But mm-hmm. in between those faithful moments, you, you'll find in Scripture that humanity failed miserably, um, <laughs> right. which is why these other people needed to show up in Scripture is because mm. this person by faith did this, but then failed right after that. Uh, and then this person showed up because that person failed, was faithful, and then failed. All, and like that's kind of the whole point. It takes you through all of Hebrews 11, and it navigates that. And then you end in, in um, Hebrews 12. You don't end the, the book in Hebrews 12, but you end that, that section. And it, it talks about in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and it picks up the story. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which is, are all those people that walked by faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and lets us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So continue for us to walk faithfully in, in what's ahead of us. And it adds in verse 2, looking to Jesus, to nothing else. Uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here is Jesus, and this is what the author is saying, that he showed up and was the only one to perfect the role of humanity. So, Mm -hmm. and by doing that, we are rescued. Um, we are saved from our depravity. We are saved from our failures. We're saved from our, our sins so that we may, we may walk faithfully with our child and point them to Jesus a lot. But because we're sinners, we're inevitable to fail. And that's why it's really important to, you know, set our example not to ourselves, but on Jesus, mm-hmm. the perfecter of this mm-hmm. and our savior in this so that we don't have to feel the the weight of those failures anymore. We don't have to feel the weight of sin anymore because that was put on Jesus because of the way that he lived. And he rescues us from those things. So the the end result, you know, that's towards the end of the Bible and it's getting to the kind of the points there is like we are meant to reflect Jesus's life, but we're not going to do it very well. 
Um, mm-hmm. and we're going to grow in it and we're going to mature and we want our kids to do that. And if we really want our kids to do that, we have to constantly, constantly be pointing them back to scripture and back to Jesus's life and, and what that means for us. And we just got to keep circling back with that. And so when our, the kids and the teenagers that we minister to, as we sit with them in those hardships and they need to be soothed and you can use your own story um, but also reminding them that Jesus also, you know, rescued us from this stuff. We don't have mm-hmm. to let these moments own us anymore. If, if what we know is true about Scripture, these moments, these hardships don't have to rescue us anymore. And that is a secure attachment above all else that you want for your child because that's the only secure attachment that won't fail you. Hmm. Preach it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of it. Um, I could really go into a lot of scripture. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not here to preach a long sermon or anything like that. Um, but that's the joy of reading scripture and why we encourage students as they, they reach an age where they can really comprehend the depths of scripture to get into it for themselves because we want them to see that but they also mm-hmm. need to be discipled to that. Um, they mm-hmm. need to be discipled by us as youth leaders. That's part of our job is to disciple children, but that does not remove the parent from their role to be the first person as God ordained it. A child is born into a family. They are born to parents, and that is God's way of saying these should be the most important adults in a child's life because I've given this child to you, so you need to steward that well. And part of that stewarding is saying, like, I can't do this alone. I need help, which is our job, is we want to help establish that healthy relationship between the the teenager and the parent, but more importantly, the teenager and Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of our role with the church and why it's important to be a part of that community. So at the end of the day, be engrossed in Scripture. At the end of the day, know that Mm -hmm. we're going to fail, and nobody does parenting perfectly but we have somebody that has rescued us from our failures and our sinfulness and, and all of these things. So let us continually point um, ourselves first, know our own story, but then our children and these teenagers to Jesus as well, because that is the only way um, they are going to be saved. Let us not mm-hmm. forget that. Mm-hmm. So that's the episode. How do you feel about that, Susan? I feel great. I mean, I feel like I could talk for like another hour. Yeah. It's just such, it's so good. It's so core to what we do. And hopefully that bleeds into our, our own parenting. And um, I feel good about it. Okay. It's exciting because it's such a, I always remember in seminary, we talked about you should have a hand forward and a hand back. And I, I love what you shared in scripture of like, that's just so encouraging to me personally of like, that's my hand forward that the, the Lord's going to have to lead me if I'm going to lead anybody and just encouraging. All right. We love y'all. We miss y'all. Bye. Bye.